You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by today's message. Let's go to the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And the message I'm calling, pass it on. Pass it on. Uh, what do I mean by that? I mean passing our faith on to others. Discipleship. Uh, as I mentioned, we are going through a study. It's been a long book study and a great book study, the Old Testament. God redeems Exodus, his people, learning his characters. And we got through really, I'd probably say like 10 to 12 Bible studies on the law, 10 commandments, on ordinances, on how the law fits into our lives, what we're to do. Um, and I thought before we get into this next big section of Exodus, it would be good and wise to give you more of an update, some leadership, some vision of, of just what God is doing in our church. As you guys know, last week I went back to Washington State um, to visit Calvary Chapel of Tacoma, and I'll get into it, and I wanted to get a report. That's why I'm wearing this fresh gear. You know, Seattle representing for the video people, King Griffey Jr., the kid, come on. Hey, someone bought it for me. I'm looking fresh, you know, so I just wanted to wear it. It's awesome, and uh, I'm excited to be able to share that with you um, because a lot sometimes when I travel or when uh, a lot happens throughout the week, uh, ministry is not just on a Sunday service. Uh, ministry is serving other people, and as we come together in fellowship with the community groups and being in one another's lives and hanging out and doing all this different stuff, it's sometimes so hard to just take a moment to step back and say, God, what are you doing? And I think that, that I want to remind us today from our study today, it's like we all have a call to make disciples. Let's not forget this. Let's not just think even series or going through a series or a book or like sometimes we even get caught up. I think even now the, for us, it's a break of, of summer. It's a rhythm. It's a rhythm stopper, right? God wants us to influence other people. And Jesus commissions us to make disciples. And so our role as leaders is to constantly tell you what God's word does and help you to be equipped to apply those things. That's why we're always opening up scripture, teaching God's truth. We want you to take action. We don't want you to just have belief. We want those behaviors to change for the Lord to work in your life. And we pray that you would be able to make disciples. And I want to give you some practical encouragement as we look at today's text. But before we do that, I just wanted you to hear the words of Jesus. Because Jesus said to his disciples in the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of it, the age. He didn't just want our good news and our worship to be in four walls or just with a community of believers that already know him. He was telling the disciples to go make disciples, to evangelize, to tell other people, and then they would tell other people, and then they would tell other people. And sometimes we forget that this is our responsibility as a follower of Jesus, that there is a pattern that we see, and we just lived out last weekend, how people invest in other people, and those people invest in other people, and this is the way, Brian. This is the way. It's a Mandalorian term. I said that a couple of Bible studies earlier, and Jeremiah and him just totally laughed. I haven't even seen season two, okay? I'm just letting you know. Uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus also said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. I want to remind us that we're not alone, that the Holy Spirit is with us. When we believe in the gospel, our sins are forgiven. We are, have a right 
um, relationship with God and the Spirit of Christ actually dwells in us and can empower us to do this mission. God wants to use you. And when Jesus said, I am with you always, he is with us through the Spirit and he empowers us to bring him glory. And oftentimes we don't feel close to God because we're not walking with him or for his plans or his purposes. And we just feel stuck. We try to be satisfied with other different things and we forget there's a great purpose. There's the power of God to save us from sin, but there is a power and a purpose to the gospel. He actually saves us from sin for his purposes, for his glory. Let's not forget this. Let's not forget this. Now, as a church, I hope you know it's all about Jesus. By now, you probably know our mission is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. And all that we do is about making disciples here and trying to bring God glory. And we sort of have five strategies, pillars, um, focuses, you may say, about what we do and why we do them. Because we actually think this is the Great Commission, to love God, to love other people, to share God's good news. And you're a part of that if you're a member of our church. What we're doing right now is intentional where we open our Bibles, where we have a weekly service, where there's a proclamation of God's Word, and we're singing. We also uh, do gospel-centered community groups that are centered around the gospel and not like just sports clubs or uh, all men or all women. It's like, nope, a collective of how God brings people. We were just talking about a last community group. It's like, man, the gospel really brought, like, that's just the power of God, isn't it, that we're all in the same room so different? They're gospel-centered, centered on who God is and what He's done. We also value and focus our, a lot of our energy on leadership development. We want you guys to grow. We want you guys to know God and really walk with Him and mature in Christ. A lot of our focus is outreach, community, evangelism, missions, church planning. And then we have the proclaim aspect of not only outreach uh, physically, but now even uh, online, uh, online ministry. We put a lot of energy in that. And so... You have to understand this because what I'm going to say is going to be very important for you to come alongside and say, I can do this because you are a part of this if you're a part of our church. I want you to see a pattern of what we do. Now, for my business friend over here, he knows this quote, culture eats strategy for breakfast. There are pillars, strategy, intentionality of what we try to do, like have a service, but culture is the behavior of the people of what they value. And before we got kicked out of COVID, we had a huge six by nine banner as you walked into the church of things that we valued as a church. Now, hopefully, even though you may not know them by heart, you've probably felt them. Culture is something you feel. You'd be like, oh, yeah, I, I, I see that in that. I see that in a group of people. Oh, that's why they do what they do. And these are our values. We value as a church believing in the gospel, like literally faith, taking it real believing in what God has said, this good news, and basing our life all over it. We value being kingdom-minded, not just Redemption Church, but God's church, speaking words of life. Notice how we always open up the Bible. We always try to give you truth, try to be encouraging. There's death and life in the tongue. We're all about people, not just programs, investing in relationships, and then developing servant leaders. And we try to match our budget, our income, our values off of this because we want our words to match our actions. This is why we do things like maybe uh, buy new cameras and lenses and go uh, on 
giving our money to missions and church planning or uh, building in relationships or starting a ministry of EE leaders and investing in church leaders because these are the things that we value because we see the mission of God is this great commission to make disciples. How do we do that as leaders and how do we do this together? Now, of course, we have a vision. We have mission, vision, values, right? Here's our great grand vision. You want to hear it? To make disciples that saturate our world with the love of Jesus. I know it doesn't really seem like a fancy mission statement or a vision statement. It seems more like a Bible verse. And I'm okay with that. We just, we just want to saturate our, our world with disciples that love Jesus. Because for us, it's not just what we do, but how we do it. Jesus said you could do a lot of good stuff, but... The great command, and as we study and we talk about over and over again, is to love God and love people. We're not just trying to take over the world. We're trying to emulate and glorify God and be His ambassadors. It's a good measuring stick. And you know, as we celebrated these last 10 years, we had our 10-year celebration. The thing that encouraged me so much, so much from all those videos is most people said we were either about Jesus uh, and we loved people really well. And I was like, man, that, there's no other measure of success. I know that sometimes we want more people. I know that sometimes we want more budget. I know that we want to see a greater impact. But the reality is, is if we're living for God and we're being faithful, what he's called us to as a church, as a family, as an individual, you should be proud of that. I believe that disciples are being made through the ministries, through these focuses, through valuing these things. Now, why do I bring all this up and it's not even a business meeting? Well, I just got back from Seattle, Washington. I just got back from Calvary Chapel, Tacoma. I have a couple of pictures here. It's a plethora of things. Um, and I not only went to Tacoma, Washington, uh, but I also brought a good friend of ours, Will Torres. Will Torres. He did a church planning residency, him and his wife here a few years ago. I think it was three and a half years ago, six months before the pandemic. And... Um, we planted a church together, sent him out in Boynton. He's now in, in, um, in right outside of Boynton in Lake Worth, doing a great job, having great ministry. And uh, one of the things that we had the opportunity to do is go back to Calvary Tacoma, which has been supporting us uh, financially, prayerfully for the last 10 years, and say, hey, the things that you've taught us, we're doing. The things that we learned, I grew up in a church just like this. My dad is still pastoring getting ready to hand things over and transition and all that different stuff. He serves on our board as a church. He's invested, and their church is invested like family. And we said, hey, today I'm not going to preach. I led worship. And I said, you know how you guys discipled me and trained me and invested in me? Well, I have this guy, Will, who we've invested in, trained, coached, helped, loved. He's a good friend. We're peers. He's going to preach. And he was able to share. And they were so encouraged and they were able to see the fruit of their investment, just how the kingdom of God works. Again, why is this important? Because we are a part of this. I want to remind us tonight that our goal as Christians is to make disciples. That God not only wants you to do it, but you to do it in community through a local church. And that church should have a vision, a mission, values that sort of Cause them to behave a certain way. And you should be able to say, is there good fruit or is there bad fruit? What is the measure of success? 
Is this a good investment in my life? Are we on the right track? That's the beautiful thing about having a mission is you can actually gauge these things and you can participate in this. And so what I want to talk to you tonight is that passage from 2 Timothy chapter 2 because in this passage, Paul gives Timothy, his disciple, four personal ways to mentor or disciple other people. And I I just thought it was so important, not only as a living example, to have these great memories from Washington and preaching and connecting with other um, pastors in the Northwest. And it was even fun. Jason Sanchez, as you guys all know, he was speaking at a church at Calvary Chapel, North Thurston, which is about 30 minutes away. And we met up and had lunch in Seattle. It was awesome. I I had another meeting with another guy um, at a Mariners game, and we grew up in the same youth group with about 10 kids, and he's pastoring a larger church in Seattle as well. It was so cool to just see how God has moved people around, but yet as you walk by faith and not by sight, you're able to trust him and to see him work in such a special way. And I want you guys to be encouraged by that and to know tonight that our goal is to continue to make disciples, however you want to fancy put it. Pursue and proclaim Jesus. If you know the story, it wasn't even that original. I just asked God, what do you want me to do? And he said, do that. Okay. Um, We have Bible verses. We have action. But how do we transfer our faith in a practical way? Okay. How do we transfer our faith in a practical way? How do we bear fruit by actually passing our faith on to others? And I remember the first time I taught this passage actually was nine years ago. It was on Memorial Day weekend is when we ordained our first pastor at Redemption Church. And it was so cool to be able to share this and now to come back at it and be like, man, it's almost like a decade later, we're still ordaining pastors. We're still training up leaders. We're still loving people. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're we're just being faithful. Don't get caught up in all of this, this, and that. Let's go to what Jesus said to make disciples, to be empowered by His Spirit. How do we do that? You don't have to be a pastor. In fact, my role as a pastor is to equip you to make disciples. So I thought, if we're going to learn, let's learn from this, uh, this guy, the Apostle Paul. He's a serial church planner. He discipled tons of people, wrote tons of scripture. He's a practitioner. I like learning from practitioners, people that have gone before me. He's a man of God. And in this context, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, we'll read. It's page 995 in a Bible that we gave you. And um, it says this, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This has become a life verse for me, one that I go back to over and over and over again because I find so much truth, so much value in Paul's wisdom to his son. This is 2 Timothy. It's not 1. This was right before Paul knew that his uh, life was about to end. And he wanted to give wisdom to someone he cared about, he loved, and he wanted him to stay on task. Guys, there are so many distractions in this world that we do not stay on task. But a loving spiritual father here is telling a spiritual son, we need to stay on task. Jesus is real. There is a mission for you to do. And I want you to not only do it, but to pass it on. So we need to pass this on. The first thing I think that we can see from this principle is just be engaging. How do you make disciples in 2023 is you need to engage with people. The verse says, you, therefore, my son, my son. Now, in order to disciple someone, you got to know them. 
You've got to be in relationship with them. Discipleship is very relational. Paul called Timothy my son. And in the New Testament, he does this over 24 times. 24 times he says, my son, my son, my son. In fact, he wrote the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2, verse 20, he says, for I have no one like him. I've trained him, I've walked with him. Um, he's, there's no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy was the real deal, and Paul knew that because he walked with Timothy. Paul and Timothy, they had this father-son relationship because they spent a lot of time with him. And if you know the Bible, in Acts chapter 16 is when Paul first picked up Timothy to do missions. He saw that his grandmother followed God and his mom followed God. His dad was sort of out of the picture. And so he was well-known in the community as a disciple. And he said, hey, come with me. Come on over here. I'm doing some mission over here. And he started to engage with him. And as you guys know, there weren't cars there. They would walk from city to city. It was, I think, his second missionary journey. And he goes and um, he's walking with him, building relations with him. So much so their hearts would be bonded that there would be this son-father relationship to be with him. You know, Paul would learn that from Jesus. Remember how he picked his disciples? It's in Mark chapter 3. I think it's verse 13, 14, and 15. Uh, Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, and he asked the Father, God, just man, just who am I supposed to choose? And he gets this list, but he, it says, the text says, he chose them to be with him, them, with him. Jesus picked the 12 disciples first to be with him and then to do ministry. Discipleship is very relational. Paul does just like Jesus. He's going on mission, following God, but yet he says, why don't you come along with me? Sometimes we over- architect or complicate discipleship this would not only happen theologically that that paul would know but he would know personally remember his friend the son of encouragement barnabas barnabas walked with paul no one wanted to give paul a chance because paul was saul saul was a murderer he was rebelling against god met jesus got rebuked totally life transformation but he wasn't people were like is he sanctified can I really trust this man? Is this a, this a show? And Barnabas came alongside him and said, Paul, come on with me. And he walked with him. He discipled him. He encouraged him. So Paul is doing the same thing he experienced now with Timothy, and he started to invest in him. So much so, they were spending so much time on these journeys, there was this, I have no one like him. He knows every. You could trust him. If I'm going to send offerings, I'm going to send Timothy. He's like my son. And so he writes and he pins, he says, therefore, my son, for us, I want you to know that if you're going to make disciples, it will take time. It should take time. It will take relation, relational capital. I love what Greg Laurie says. He says, I have found that the most effective sharing takes time. It is far better to sit down for an hour and talk genuinely with one person than rally off trite cliches to scores of people. Some of the most profound things Jesus ever said were actually in one-on-one conversations. His talks with the Samaritan woman, see John chapter 4, and Nicodemus, John chapter 3, have become our scripts for evangelism. Jesus took, for these individual, or took time for these individuals, so how much more should we take time for those with whom we are speaking? You're going to need relational capital because you're going to have to disciple and correct, and rebuke, and teach, and walk with people, and know people. And so Paul starts by just saying, you therefore. 
You therefore, my son. He's writing in a very personable way. And what he's about to do with Timothy is challenge Timothy. Sort of like what the Bible says is iron sharpens iron. We, we sometimes have sparks. But when we have that relational capital, Paul, Timothy would know that Paul would love him. And he spoke because he cared. It's often say people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And when we build a relationship with people and love people and serve them, they know even if we have to bring a hard truth, like a therefore, because of this, anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to read, well, why is it therefore? Well, it's therefore because Paul is about to, Paul just corrected and rebuked Timothy. Look in chapter 1 and verse 6 through 8. For this reason, I remind you to fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. I hope that you have people in your life that you know love you, but can speak truth into your life. We all need to be discipled and have a a Paul in our life, but we also need a Timothy and to be a Paul. And Paul basically was like, listen, don't forget the mission. Don't forget we laid hands on you. You have the spirit of God. Don't be fearful. Trust God in this moment. This is why he says, therefore, you, my son, beloved, be strong in the grace that God has given you. He had to say, you're not really doing this, but let me just tell you, you don't have to be ashamed of me, Timothy. I'm in prison. I'm down and out. That's okay. You can share in the sufferings. God told us this would happen. It's important to speak godly counsel and wisdom into people's lives. And this wasn't the first time Paul did this. In his first letter, 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, he says, O Timothy, guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. He reminds them, hey, guard this good deposit. Remember to stay focused. It's like Peter, when he wrote his second book, he said, I don't write these things because you don't know the gospel. I actually write these things to just remind you. How often do we forget? Part of discipleship is just saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. You know, by the time I am sick and tired of saying pursuing and proclaiming Jesus is about when people finally get it. That's how vision works. That's how mission and values and these things work. It's like, guy, man, he just, he just keeps on repeating, 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 Jesus, 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 Jesus. Yes, that's pretty much the whole thing. And so we go to him over and over and over again. We repent continually, faith and repentance, faith and repentance, and it doesn't change. But we sure do as we look into the glory and the beauty of God. And it's so important for you, if you're going to make disciples, to be relational so you can speak and correct and give people truth, and engage in their life, and show love, and walk with people. Because people aren't going to get it. We're in this sanctification process. And this is probably the most important thing, is to build relational capital. But as you do, there's not just rebuking or correcting, there's also encouragement. We're not just relational, we should be encouraging. We should be encouraging. He not only says, hey, you therefore, because of this, you need to switch your ways, don't forget this, but... Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Guys, let's not forget that ministry is based off the grace of God. 
It's based off the favor and the goodness of God. God saved us by His grace. He called us by His grace. And He gives us ministry to do by grace. We don't need to beat people when they're down. People are already so discouraged. Even Christians are so discouraged in serving Jesus because guess what? We blow it all the time. You need to remind people and you need to maybe remind yourself tonight that it's all grace. We need God's grace. I know I need God's grace when I fail, when I blow it, when, I, when I'm not the right parent that I should be or when I don't in the, the, the things I, I need to say and I don't want to say them. Like God's grace is better than my own efforts. I can glory in my weakness and he can receive glory. His grace is sufficient, Paul would say. And it's so important for us to understand. Paul goes and corrects him, but then immediately he's like, but it's okay, God loves you. He's for you. You just be strong in his grace, not in your own efforts. It's not about you. It's about God's glory. So go ahead and keep on. Don't give up. God uses broken people. He uses you to make disciples, and those disciples that you're making are broken. They're fighting the flesh. They're in a spiritual warfare. We need to be lifting and encouraging other brothers and sisters up. Listen, the reality is Timothy wasn't mighty. He had physical problems. He had stomach problems. Physically, he even emotionally. Uh, last time, uh, the text says, if you read it in no Acts, he even cried last time he saw Paul right before he was going to die. Paul wanted Timothy to know God's grace was available to him for the task even when he wasn't there. I think too often times when we make disciples, we actually end up making disciples off of us and not of Jesus. People look to us because we're ahead of them. Our job is to point them to Jesus, not us. It's by God's grace. When you disciple people, you can be encouraging by sharing your failures. I mean, I know I'm always encouraged by other people's failures. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not the only one. <laughs> it's true. We could, we could be equal at the cross. This is what Paul did in, in 1 Timothy verses 12 and 16. He says, I thank him, speaking of God, who has given me strength. Remember, be strong in the grace. Be strong in this strength, Timothy. I, I thank God that God gave me grace and had given, given me strength. Uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You know what I found out is most people don't think they can make disciples because they don't think they're good enough. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm not good enough. Actually, that's the reason why I'm an apostle and making disciples because it all goes to God's glory and grace. So you don't, you don't have to have a seminary degree. You don't even have to walk to God for two years. You could make disciples as a youth in your old age, as a single mom, with young kids, wherever you're at. The Bible actually says, in our weakness, he is strong. And Paul is reminding Timothy how awesome God is and his grace was available not only to him, but also to Timothy. Timothy needed this reminder. We need this reminder. And we need to give that to other people. That we can do all things in Christ Jesus who strengthens us. That God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That Proverbs 13, 14 says, the teaching of the wise is a fountain of life and the one uh, that... The one, that one may turn away from snares of death. We can actually teach people God's truth and give people His grace and remind them of that truth. 
Well, how do we become, how do we do this? How do we practically encourage people? It's not hard and it's so simple, but it's so important. We disciple people through the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Now notice how I'm using all this text from Timothy, 1 and 2 Timothy, because it's a different context. You guys just thought this was doctrine, but this is a real person speaking to a real person. And he's telling Timothy in this letter, you could be strong in the grace that God's given you. Part of that grace is God enlightening you and showing you revelation and speaking to you. You don't have to rely on me. I'm weak and you can be weak, but God's grace is strong. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen, if you don't know where to start, just open the Bible with someone and just read it out loud and speak life. Proverbs 18.21 says, We have the power of the tongue to speak death or life, and we can speak prophetic life into people. If you want to influence people for God, give them God's word and rely on His Spirit to do the great work. Remember, the whole role of the Holy Spirit is to point others to Jesus, and He is the great teacher. So don't get discouraged in your weakness, glory in your weakness, that you don't have to come up with a new program. It's so crazy to me how many different programs there are for churches and ministry. It's there's this thing, and there's this thing, and there's that thing, and there's this thing, and oh, buy this for $9.99 or $99.99. And this, I'm like, guys, we, we, got, we got the Spirit of God and everything we need. And yes, we should be learning, and there is wisdom, and there's programs, that's important. But the reality is, you, you don't need all that. I remember my pastor coming out of Calvary Chapel of Olympia when I was serving youth pastoring, he was speaking life to me over and over and again. Believe me, hey, Daniel, when you have your own staff, man, you're going to do this. Or, hey, I, I believe in you. I remember fighting with him about being the youth pastor and not you know, teaching. He's like, no, I believe that you're the guy. You're going to be able to do it. You're going to be great. It's going to be okay. I'll teach you. I'll teach you. I'll grow with you. I'll, you know, I would fail, go in his office. Wouldn't even be upset. He'd be like, just laugh. Well, let's just move on. Because he knew he failed so much and he needed people to believe. You see, when you experience this, you can have conviction to say it actually works. This is important. God is real. So we're to be engaging. We're to be encouraging. And the way that we encourage people is with our words, but we're also to be enlightening. Continue on in the text. It says, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. You remember that Paul was a preacher. And what did Timothy hear? Well, he heard the word. He heard the gospel. He heard literally uh, scripture, as Paul was probably articulating that, write that. He even gave Timothy to go to this church to just read it. Like He was hearing things, but enlightenment is something more than just hearing, it's seeing. It's being illuminated. And one of the ways Paul was able to do this with Timothy is not just speak words, but to live things out in front of him. He's like, Timothy, you know me, and you've seen me speak this, but you've seen me live it. See, because I think for us, we can get very intimidated when we look at the Apostle Paul, all that he did, and be like, listen, I'm just not that guy. I'm just not the Apostle Paul. But can I remind you that when the Apostle Paul preached, you know the Bible actually records someone slept during his message, fell down, and died. It's true. When he wrote in 1 Corinthians, I think it was 1 Corinthians or even 2 Corinthians, I don't know which one, but he literally said, I did not come to you in like great oracle and like being, I, I come to you uh, not in my own strength, but in the power and the might of God and the resurrection. He actually said, 
and boldness I have in my letter, but you've seen me up close. I'm not that great. In fact, people actually argued that Apollos was a better preacher, better oracle. Like, he was the grand great speaker. This is the guy at the conference. You're going to get Apollos, you're going to get a Peter, not Paul. Paul wasn't that great of a speaker. But by inspiration of the Holy Spirit and being willing and able, he wrote Scripture and had confidence. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit to do that work. You don't have to be like someone else. God has made you with the giftings you have to be empowered by His Spirit to reach people. Because, you know, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's unwise. 10 verse 5, it's just unwise to compare yourself. That's what I'm, I'm glad I didn't baptize many of you because you're, you're trying to follow me. No, I need you to follow Christ. It's not either Apollos, it's neither Peter, or he would say Cephas, it's neither me. It's about Jesus. And one of the ways that he pointed people to Jesus is he didn't just preach it, he lived it. We preach and make disciples with our lives. People need to see what these doctrines and truths actually mean. And Timothy didn't just hear Paul's message, he saw Paul. He would tell the church in Philippi, Philippians 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Paul didn't just preach, but he enlightened his words by showing people as he taught the message of Christ. Or as he would say in chapter 1 of this book, 2 Timothy 1.13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and in love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow a pattern. Follow a pattern. What have you learned from me? Teach those to faithful men. How have you been discipled? How have you grown in your walk with the Lord? Start there. I know it seems very simple, but simple things are very hard to do, aren't they? It can be very simple, but yet profound. Like here's a training model that I use often and I see has a really great impact, but it's so hard to do. Five steps. This is how Paul trained Timothy. I do. You watch. We talk. I'm going to model it for you. You're going to look at me and see it. We're going to talk about why I did that. Then next time we get together, I'm going to do, and you're going to help. And then we're going to talk. And you actually see Paul taking Timothy to this city, and then he's like starting to help and preach. And, and then they talk as they go to the next city. But then there's, you do, I help, we talk. Paul would then actually start sending Timothy away and saying, no, you go ahead of me and you go do this. I'm going to watch and we'll evaluate and we'll talk. And then the fourth step is, you do, I watch, we talk. You let people expand. You let people grow. You don't meddle. You let them learn. Then Paul would tell Timothy, you do, and someone else watches. And the cycle just gets repeated. I mean, it's a pretty simple training model, but it's a very helpful pattern. And Paul says in Scripture, follow the pattern that I've given you. What patterns have you seen in your own life that work? Like, has God gifted you with that grace where you've seen prayer work in your life? Where you read Scripture and you're like, man, the what, when, where, how, and who of reading the Bible, I could teach that to someone else because I've grown so much from that. You know what's really helpful in my faith? I have this pattern of going to a service and being in community. I should tell other people they should do that too. 
There are patterns in our Christian faith, our spiritual disciplines that we practice to get certain outcomes that it is okay to say, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. Because that's what Paul said. And that's what now he's telling Timothy to do because he's on his last breath and he's saying, I need you to shepherd these people. I need you to not forget. You need to pass these on. Finally, he says, be enlisting. Not just being enlightening with your life and a pattern, but be enlisting. Invite others to come alongside of you just like I came alongside of you, Timothy. Commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul tells Timothy, pass it on. Pass the sound doctrine on. Pass the things that you've learned from me to other people. How? Well, this pattern of life. Preach it. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort and complete, uh, with complete patience and teaching. But pass it on with your life. 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will, both, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Pass it on to faithful men. This word faithful men, it has the idea of not perfect men, but those that it could be entrusted to continue on. It's okay to choose people to invest in. Jesus did. Paul did. He didn't call everyone spiritual son. He didn't claim everyone like that. He didn't invest in everyone like that. We cannot invest in everyone, but we must invest in someone. And Paul actually tells him, hey, pass your faith on to faithful men that will pass it on. A person full of faith, train them to do the same thing that you learned from me. And when we pick and choose who we're going to disciple, we need to look for three things. One, you want to look at character. Is this person even willing to follow you? Do they have the humility? Do they want to be discipled? You can teach people things, but if you want to be in a relationship with discipleship, they should know that. Jesus said, come follow me. And they dropped their nets and followed them. So is there that character? Do you see that fruit? Can you look in their life and be like, okay. But I think that you should also look for chemistry. This is where choice comes involved. So many people, they, they look to charisma over character. They look to talent and gifts. But the reality is sometimes we just click better with different people. This is why if you go to Redemption Church, you should probably like the teaching ministry here because we teach a lot. That's okay. I'm not, I know I'm not everyone's cup of tea, and that's fine. But you should be able to be like, wow, I, I get stuff out of Daniel's messages or I like to be able to come here to hear God's word or man, we just had this connection. That is a good thing. I notice there's multiple churches and multiple connections and multiple disciples making many disciples. That's okay. You're not going to click with everyone, but you have to be on the lookout of like, who can I click with? But you also have to think about calling. It's not just a personality thing because you have to actually pray about who you will invest in. If you're a parent, you don't even need to pray. God actually orchestrated that you would actually invest in your children. That's an easy decision for you to make. Right? 
Sometimes I'm like, why did I choose that person? Oh, that's right. I felt through prayer that this would be a good investment, and I feel like God's telling me to do this. So you want to pick character, you want to pick chemistry, but you want to go to calling. Who, who does God want me to invest in? If you're a part of a local church, who's around you? You may not have the best friend or someone that you thought would be good or thought that was like you. But who has God placed into your life that wants to be discipled and how can you make a difference? Start there. Pray about it. I like this chart I have. I don't know if you'll be able to see it on here. It's why it's so hard to invest in exponential growth. Because most people, when they think about discipleship and the way the kingdom of God works, they think about addition. For example, we have two community groups. That's like 20 people, 10 people each group. So you would invest in those 20 people and you'd be like, man, it's so awesome. We have three groups now because we got a youth group. And then there's 30. Oh, man, well, let's add another group next year. Okay, that's 40 people. And you add and you add and you add, which is good. And it's awesome because those are numbers. But what's actually more significant is rather than having one or two leaders invest in groups, say if we started with 20 people and just those 20 people invested in one other person for a whole year, you would get your 40 people the following year. But what if those 40 people just invested in one person? The next year, it would go to 80, then 160, then 320. Y'all know math, huh? Favorite subject in school. Grammar was not my thing. I'm just telling you, okay? (laughs) Exponential growth, you see this curve. It takes so much time. But here's the beauty about the kingdom of God. God doesn't just want to work through one person or a pastor or a leader. The gospel has equal playing field that we can all make disciples. And the way that the gospel is supposed to spread and the kingdom of God is supposed to work is through this pattern of discipleship where it's one person by one person and there's exponential growth. You know, when it's like this and not centered on just one person, the gospel spreading is decentralized. It's focused not on man, but of Jesus. And this is how we pass things on. This is how we do it slowly and surely. It's a marathon, not a sprint. We're talking about people's lives. Some of you guys know, walking with you for many years, you still ain't perfect. Neither am I. That's a part of it. It's not like you just say a prayer and everything is good to go. There's a process of sanctification and we walk with people, we engage with them, we encourage them, we actually enlist and say, hey, would you want to be a part of this group? Would you want to follow me as I follow Christ? How does that look like? We need to take these principles and take it seriously because let us remind ourselves this is not a social club that we get together every week. This is the kingdom of God in the church. The things that we do are eternal. These are eternal truths that we're studying. When you give your tithes and offerings, you're investing in the kingdom of God where Jesus said those things like moth and rust will not take that away from you. We believe in the resurrection. We have a living hope. These things matter. Heaven and hell are real. The gospel has the power of God to save. We cannot lose focus. We need to be reminded of that. And I was so encouraged and reminded This last weekend, when I was in Calvary, Tacoma, it's so crazy to me that after 40 years of my dad serving faithfully, all the exponential fruit he has and the influence he's made. And the beautiful thing is, everything that he did and has done 
all of us can do. He just walked with God and told people about Jesus with the gifts and calling that he had. And I'm not even thinking about his church or his numbers. I'm just thinking about him as a person. It is so cool to see the more mature saints and people that have walked with God for so long to see that encouragement, that life-giving example, and just their zeal and their excitement that they saw their investment was worth it. I can guarantee you your investment to make disciples will always be worth it because it was a command by Jesus. And as we think about Exodus and we've been in a series all about the commands and ordinances and rules, remember why God gives us commands to bless us. They give us boundaries and guidelines and direction and order. And even Jesus said, blessed are you not that those that listen or know these things, but that you do it. The command to make disciples and to do this thing together, you'll actually be blessed. It's better to give than to receive. And so, just some thoughts on discipleship. We're going to get right back into the text in Exodus next week. But I just wanted to make sure that you guys know, I'm encouraged by how we're making disciples. I'm proud to be your pastor, and I want you guys all to to be able to make disciples as well. Uh, It's important to me, it's going to be important to me and Robin that we continue to remind you through the Word. And when we come together, we're not just trying to do cute little sermon series with slides and stuff. We, walk, we want to walk with you. We want you to mature in Christ to the fullness of maturity in Christ. And I believe that we can make a great impact together. We're better together, not alone. And so I was just so blessed, so reminded of that. And we're going to take communion and just be reminded that we can receive grace and the empowering of the Holy Spirit by God's grace and not by our own efforts. Jesus said when we gather together, we take, well, we're to remember Him. One of the reasons why we take communion every week is because I want us always to be strong in the grace of God and remember it's about Jesus and not us. And the beautiful thing is Paul said, as freely as I received, I give to you. And he lays out this thing of communion and he tells people, do this in remembrance of Jesus. We should always be a people that remember Jesus, that love him, that serve him. Even think about afterglow services and why we did it. We just want to spend more time with Jesus just to learn to pray, to be silent, to pray with one another. We're going to do that, but we're going to finish with communion. Take a break for those that want to stick around for more prayer, for more worship, just to be in the presence of God. Man, we'd love to have you stay, but let's close our service now by just thanking God that um, He's chosen us to do this great task and we can look to His grace to be sustained by it. God, we thank You so much for just the pattern we see in You, perfect love. And Lord, we know perfect love casts out all fear. I just pray for the men and women here, part of our church, that you would empower them, that they would see that they can make disciples, pour their lives into other people. Uh, God, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to help us stay focused. Lord, give us wisdom in our finances and how to spend it. Every penny. Lord, with our time and our talents, what ministries we should do and we should not do how we should spend our time. God, we got one life to live here on this earth before we get our resurrected body and see you face to face. And so we need the empowering of the Spirit. We need your reminders continually that there is more to life than just us. God, you died for the world. 
And we just thank you collectively, taking communion even as a church, knowing that we are just a little part of your grand story. But we thank you, Lord, when we submit to you and follow your ways, we are blessed. So God, I just pray right now, would you sell us something in our hearts that we can make disciples? Would you send people along our path? I pray as we even later tonight go into a time of prayer that we would be able to intercede for people and see salvations, that we would see more people come into our lives that we can disciple to be a part of this fellowship and church. For your name's sake, God, we want to obey you. We know it's hard to die to self, so we need your encouragement and your empowering. We know it's hard to give up time in this busy world. But Lord, let our lives be a living sacrifice unto you. It is our reasonable worship. It is good to honor you with our lives, to give our time, to give our efforts, our lives to you. So go, God, we're reminded once again with communion that we have life in you because of the work that you did the grace that you shed and poured upon our hearts through the Spirit. As you shed your blood for us, we have life. As we say, God, we need you, we have life. As we humble ourselves, we can receive your grace. Looking to communion, God, we realize that you're coming back again. You not only died, but you rose again. So help us live accordingly. Help us be reminded of that. Let us enjoy your presence. For by you, Lord, there is fullness of life, joy forevermore. Keep us close, keep us satisfied, keep us turning to you. Thank you for being so patient with us. So we thank you, God, in this moment. And by faith, we turn to you. We love you, Lord. And we thank you, God, how you saved us from the power of sin, but yet for a grand purpose to make disciples and bring you glory. Help us to love you and love one another well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Williams at Redemption Church in Delray Beach. Thank you so much for listening to that message. We pray it was an encouragement. It was a blessing to you as we love to pursue and to proclaim Jesus together. And so no matter where you're listening, whether it be YouTube or our podcast, you can go to more resources at redemptiondb.com and even partner with us in ministry to pursue and to proclaim Jesus. God bless you. And thank you so much for listening.